Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 108 of Freight 360. We got a special one this week. Joined by Trey Griggs, and it's another one of our uh, video ones. So not only can you listen on iTunes and everything, but you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, so Trey, you're looking dapper today. And oh, so we are. Yeah, we all so I have we're to... all wearing the same shirt. Oh my god, that, like, wasn't planned, but we literally <laughs> are all wearing all. the same shirt. Uh, I well, did wear a so lean we... shirt because we're, we were having you on, but I didn't and know we, that everyone was wearing the black one. I know that's embarrassing, but we do appreciate your business, your partnership. I love working with you guys, so it's fitting. But yeah, and I also didn't know this video, so I guess I should be staring out the window or you know getting up to go to the bathroom during the show this time. Yeah. <laughs> It's all right. Every now and then you mute yourself and play guitar, but no. Um, but hey, it's going to be a good episode. We're we're going to talk about one of the really uh, crucial things in the U.S. market right now, which is labor and labor shortages. Um, yeah. We're going to give that just a minute. We're going to do a quick sports uh, recap first because the NFL has been insane. Uh, but hey, if you're if you're brand new to Freight 360, you've joined our community at a great time when we're growing and lots of great content out there. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back. We appreciate all your listens, all your views, downloads, everything, sharing us, all the questions we're getting from people. We get a lot of good feedback. So keep up the love. We appreciate it. Um, let's get right into sports. Trey, I know you're a Chiefs fan. And uh, last as I checked, you're bottom of your division right now, but I, it's <laughs> we're, a long we're scrape of the, we're, 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 you know, getting a view of the seller real quick. It's been a long time since we've been in there. So we're just getting a little view of, of what, you know, the Raiders have been <laughs> in the, Cobwebs the last several years, but no, it's been, you know, it's been an interesting start to the season. Um, I think that, you know, you looked at the schedule and you saw these juggernaut games at the beginning, you know, hosting Lamar, or, or I'm sorry, going and, and playing Baltimore um, at Baltimore against Lamar, hosting Justin Herbert, playing uh, you know against Cleveland at the beginning of the season. You know, I mean, those are those are some quality teams that are on the rise. They're trending up where they have been for the past couple of years. So you kind of knew that was going to be a challenge. But as we were saying earlier, I, I do believe that the AFC West is a really strong division this year. I yeah. think San Diego's legit. I think they're going to be good. Uh, they're going to be in the in the hunt. I think Oakland or not Oakland, sorry, Las Vegas, the Raiders. I think they're going to be better than people think. Derek Carr's got his head on straight, and I think they're going to do pretty well. They've shown some some promise. I'm not long term concerned about the Broncos, but they've even played relatively well here at the beginning in a few games. So it's uh, it's been an interesting start of the season. And um, as long as you know Kansas City gets it all straightened out by you know November December, we're in good shape. I agree. I agree. I still think you're going to win your division. Um, Buffalo had a bad start too, but I mean, they came back. Josh Allen looked like Josh Allen this past yeah. week. And I think yeah. when I, I look at week four coming up this weekend, <clears throat> we're hosting Houston here in, uh, in Orchard Park. And the spread is like 16 and a half points or something like that. And um, they're talking about it on ESPN today or this week. And they're like, you know, no one really likes to bet on double digit spreads like that, but that's just the way. It, I mean, you got a terrible that's a big Houston spread. team that Tyrod Taylor's yeah. out. So they got some dude who's played like two NFL games before up against <laughs> the Bills high school football right like now. last week. And now he's in the uniform play, but you know, it, it's a, it's a fair point. I think, you know, Josh Allen's an incredible quarterback, but I'm wondering if the three week preseason instead of four actually had some sort of impact just to get the, get the, get the, the gears going a little bit faster. It's just, I think it's taken a while for some. Well, I mean, uh, there was no preseason last year, so I, I, you, yeah, it's hard true. to compare, but I agree. I've heard compare, that a lot, but you know, you, you don't know, but either way, it's a good start of the season. Obviously there's a huge buzz. 
stadiums are full fans are loving it the games have been great so it's been good yeah ben Ryder cup did you watch it absolutely man shotgun and beers on the tee box (laughs) i was i mean it was a great weekend for golf i watched did you watch any of it trey catch any i watched i watched everything but friday pretty much because you know just i was too busy that day working but i did watch a lot on saturday and most of it on sunday and i had a friend who actually said i wish this were closer this doesn't feel good i actually take the other route sometimes in sports it is just as enjoyable watching a dominant performance as it is watching a tight, you know, nail burning, you know, nail biting performance as well. I, I referenced, you know, Tiger in 97, everybody was going to win the masters. They just didn't know about how many, and nobody mm-hmm. turned off the TV, you know, yep. Rory winning the U S open by eight, nobody turned it off, especially when it was two months after his collapse with the masters. Sometimes it well, is that's... really enjoyable in sport to see a dominant performance. And I also think it, it, that is one of the things that I really appreciate more about golf is because golf Anybody that has played the sport knows that no matter how well you're playing, right, you are one shot away and one thing that be, I mean, you might not have done anything wrong. And literally, you're that the entire rest of the so round could be a disaster, out. right? A like run. a whole lot. Yeah, what was, what was a guy's name? Vandeveld from like a decade ago. Remember, he was supposed <laughs> yeah. to win the open by like five strokes and he literally finished with like an eight or a nine three or something. Up, like three up on the last hole and he triple bogey to get into a playoff and had to make a 10 footer to get yep. into that playoff. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I always enjoy watching golf because no matter how much of a lead there is, it always could go back, but they definitely won handily throughout the weekend. So, well, the nice thing about that team, which was exciting is that you saw a different philosophy from, from Stricker. He actually went after rookies instead of the, you know, the kind of the, the the purveying thought over the years is you got to have experience to play well in these things. You have to have experience. And he went with like six, six rookies and like, you know, four of his captains pick were rookies and they all played well. And it was because they're, they're talented players. They're, they're really you good. Know, high in the official world golf ranking. They've won tournaments. And they're not afraid. They don't have any scar tissue. And that's, a, that's an important thing sometimes in sport. It's like Olympians. You see a 17-year-old go out and you know, do something flawless. And then when they're 25, yeah, their body may have broken down a little bit. But maybe one of the biggest things is they've fallen more. Or they've mm-hmm. failed more. They might have some scar tissue. Those guys didn't have any scar tissue. And they just played yeah. so well. It was amazing. And it, it's a bright spot for USA Golf moving forward. Couldn't agree more. I think overall, I also think the U.S.'s uniforms were twice that of Europe's. Europe's look terrible. Significantly better this year. There have been some bad ones. You know, 99 was pretty bad. Uh, But these uniforms were actually pretty pretty legit. I thought they were pretty good. So before we move on, I know know we're about to move on. One more thing. My St. Louis Cardinals just completed a 17-game winning streak. They lost last night for the first time in like three weeks. Uh, 17 game winning streak. They're going to get in the wild yeah. card. They're hot at the right time. Super excited about that. They were only five games away from the new record, but I'm glad they didn't get it because if they would have gotten it, they would have been on a 22 game winning streak going into a wild card. I just didn't feel good about did that. Did you see nice one loss out of the way? Did you see their playoff odds a month ago versus yeah. when they clinched? I was at a game a month ago. Dude, it was like 1%. Was I mean, it was empty a month ago. Yeah. And now, obviously, like Monday night, Tuesday night, doesn't matter. It was packed out both yep. nights. It's cool to see. That's awesome. The, um, the AL wild card is looking interesting. It's a tight race. Red Sox, Yankees, Toronto, uh, who else? Yeah, Toronto. Uh, Seattle's like, wow. they're right there too. It's going to be interesting. I got, got wild cards, uh, what, Tuesday, Wednesday next week, I believe, right? Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. The last games are actually, it's weird. The last games are all the way into October. Usually they're over by September. So, yeah, they usually finish up. It's the same weekend. It just happens to be later this year. Just happens. So, to be later. It, it usually ends uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it just happens to be that they're played October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. 
Um, all right, cool. Well, today we're going to talk about labor shortage. I want to, I do want to give a shout out to our friends over at DAT First. We're not going to do an ad read for them, but as you guys all know, you can check our, our episode notes to get a link for a free month of DAT Power, DAT Express, or DAT Trucker's Edge. But the big announcement is we're doing a webinar with DAT on October 12th. Um, that will be at 2 p.m. Eastern or do the, do the math. Um, if you are, or did, is it one o'clock? Did I get that wrong, Ben? Is it two o'clock? I was just going to pull up the time frame because I didn't remember the specific time. It's on, yeah, well, it's, it's the, on the 12th. October 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we sent what out an email to a lot about? of our, a lot of our listeners, um, earlier today. I think I accidentally wrote 2001 instead of 2021. <laughs> so just make sure you don't go back in time for it. It's at one o'clock Eastern. There it is. One yeah, o'clock Eastern. Pacific. Yeah, 10 Pacific, 11 Mountain, noon Central, 1 o'clock Eastern. We're going to go over five strategies to get more shippers. That's going to be a great one. And at the, at the end, we'll do a little bonus session um, with, with the whole group on some, uh, some strategies to get some freight out of your customers once you get them, once you find those shippers. So make sure to register for that. You got a couple of weeks to sign up. It'll be available for download afterward, too, if, if you can't make it during the actual thing. So check out the link in the show notes to get the registration form. It should be the first thing in there. Um, I, got to, all right. uh, I got to see my friends from DAT the past couple of weeks. So we were at McLeod user conference. They were there. So got nice. to see Melissa Tooley and some of my friends there. And then I got to see Jeff Hopper, uh, Hopper at uh, Jeff Hopper at um, uh, the TI policy forum this week up in DC. He was there. I got to talk to him a little bit. And had a How was that? I really wished we could have made it up there. Obviously. Yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to you guys, because in the open board meeting, they talked about the small broker coaching program and referenced uh, the two of you along with our friend, Chris Jolly. So you guys are doing a great job with that. And for new brokers out there, um, great resources with the TI. They're, they're getting much more creative and much more effective in their offerings and value propositions for their, their members. So if you're not a member of TI, look into it. It's worth it. They uh, not only provide incredible resources like these two guys, but also lobbying on your behalf with Congress. I actually got to experience that for the first time. I had several meetings with congressmen and women up on the Hill, with senators and representatives. Um, had a chance to talk about some really important uh, legislation that we're trying to get through, some safety selection standards for selecting carriers, as well as uh, international uh, kind of customs for shipments uh, you know, programs, as well as the PRO Act, which is a really big deal for owner-operators and uh, you know making sure that they have the freedom to continue to be owner-operators, to write their own own check for uh, you know in terms of their schedule and how much they want to make, how often they want to run, and all those types of things. The reasons why people are owner-operators, making sure that they still have that by saying no to the pro legislation. So, so let me ask you this. I'm curious on that note, um, how in tune would you say that the average politician is with the, the transportation industry? Cause I just, I feel like yeah. the average Joe great that question. I talked to has no idea how, how the market yeah. works. That's a great question. Um, I think it's obviously heightened now because of what's going on. Obviously supply chain is, is the hot topic. Uh, no matter where you're at, no matter what bar you walk into, people are probably talking supply chain or some sort of impact that it's having on their business or on just their personal life. So I think it's more now than in the past, but at the same time, I would say that it's not, not always at the forefront because when they think about infrastructure, like what they're focused on right now, the infrastructure bill and, and some of those aspects, they're really thinking about roads and bridges and internet and things that are important super important but i don't think they're that they're 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 keen right now on how do we fix this supply chain problem or what can we do to make it more efficient or make it better 
Um, and so that's where, you know, it was really eye-opening to me. We did not actually get to meet with a lot of the senators and congressmen themselves. We met with their, their, uh, legislative assistants, their chief of staff, which they're very knowledgeable. And those are the ones that are actually more into policy than the actual representatives because they're out trying to you know, get reelected. So it was really neat to see how the whole process worked, but I wouldn't say that it's top of mind. We had to spell out this legislation and what we're trying to accomplish and it wasn't new legislation. It's something that they've tried to pass twice or to try to get it into a bill twice already uh, back in uh, 2017, I believe, and maybe a time before that. And, and it was in the infrastructure bill that they're looking to pass now until like a couple of weeks ago when it fell out of committee, like they, they pulled it out during committee. And so it's not like it's new legislation and yet we still had to explain what it is and, and it wasn't something that they were familiar with. So it was somewhat concerning. It was fascinating to be a part of the process and to see how it all worked out. Nice. That's cool. Big stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a supply chain's huge, right? I mean, is it Craig Fuller was on the today show? Yeah. A couple of days ago. Yeah. Talking yeah. about, um, you know, holiday shopping and, that, and transportation. And, I, stuff. and I'll say this as well. I, I mean, I, I definitely want to talk about that, but I would say that it, it gave me a greater appreciation of what the TIA pack does in terms of lobbying for our industry, specifically for freight brokers, but also for carriers and shippers who are impacted by the entire supply chain and what's going on um, in order to make this a better industry. We talked a lot about insurance costs, how they're through the roof because of nuclear verdicts. And, and the reason for some of those has to do with the gray area that's, that's created by the FMCSA and some other things that they just haven't quite shored up yet for one reason or another. And so, you know, they're, they're, they do a great job and I, I have a greater respect and appreciation for that now um, for the TI pack, as well as the TI in general and how they you know lobby and work on our behalf to make our jobs, our industry much more efficient. So if you're not a part of TI or, you know, part of the TI pack, I would highly recommend looking into it um, and checking that out. Jessica Mazel, you can look for her on LinkedIn. She's the person to talk to about membership. Um, but just a, f- a fantastic organization. Ann Rinky's doing a tremendous job recalibrating and leading this organization. Yeah, she's no stranger to politics. We know that much. No, right? she's not. She said she's been lobbying and, and working in government and outside of government, uh, particularly with railroads, but in transportation for a long time. So she's, yeah. she's the right person for the job right now. Awesome. Well, cool. So today, um, labor shortages. I mean, Trey, I just want to, I want to let you just kind of take the reins here. This, this was a topic that you brought up and I, I loved it right away when you had the idea. It's, it's been a huge impact overall across um, the entire U.S. economy, really, but transportation has definitely seen it. So why, why the idea, in your opinion, uh, to talk labor shortages and staffing and, and things of that nature? Well, the main reason is that I mean, I've had a chance to go to in-person trade shows the last two and a half weeks. We went to McLeod. We went to um, a Home Delivery World uh, Conference in Philly. We went to the International Factoring Association in Omaha. And I was just up in D.C. this week, earlier this week for the TIA Policy Forum. And over and over and over, the common message that I'm hearing from owners and presidents is we can't find good people. You know, people are not showing up for no show, no calls for interviews. Uh, can't find people that have experience. People are asking for too much money. I mean, they're looking at you know entry-level positions and they can't get them for under 20 bucks an hour in some areas, some areas more than that. But across the board, 20 bucks an hour before uh, taxes and benefits for an entry-level position for somebody who doesn't show up for the interview, it's very, very challenging, especially in our industry where 
we're growing. You know, we're seeing an acceleration in terms of the needs in transportation for drivers, for uh, you know, for carrier sales representatives and, and track and trace specialists, operation type folks. There's such a huge need for that. And over and over, I just kept hearing, we can't find anybody. And I started thinking about, well, okay, I, I, I knew that was true. We know the government was handing out money for a long time, but they stopped on Labor Day, you know, in that regard. Why isn't this problem somewhat moving in the right direction or trending in a more positive note? Because this was just this week and last week that I'm hearing these things. And maybe it will kind of correct itself over time. But I started thinking about what's causing this issue or what's the underlying problem. And I think the biggest underlying problem kind of goes like this. You know, the people that were most impacted by the pandemic were the low income earners to begin with, the restaurant workers. A-shaped recovery, right? You know, exactly. The, the people that were already at the bottom were impacted the most. And so they sat out on the sidelines. And of course, when government gives them money, they were basically making what they were making working. If not so more, there was, there was, if not more, there was no incentive to actually go back out and work. I mean, you go to go, go to dinner tonight and you'll see half the tables not filled and they say we're full. We can't, you know, 45 minute wait and half the tables aren't even, aren't even being used because they can't find workers. It's across the board. And, and now I think what the government has done by, by giving those extended benefits was they were trying to artificially bump up what employers were willing to pay because they can't get a higher minimum wage federally. So they're just trying to force the issue and, and, and manipulate it in that direction. But what you end up having is people who are demanding, you know, more than the people who are currently working in that job and they have less skills. So you'd have to bring on somebody who's less skilled in that position, pay them more than you're paying somebody to do it now. And you don't know what kind of worker they are. I mean, there's a, you know, with, without being, uh, without, you know, making a broad stroke here of generalization, even though it will be, there's a reason why people are at the bottom of the employment uh, chain, if you will. It's usually for lack of employment, lack of responsibility, lack of discipline. There's usually a factor in that regard. Sometimes their fault, sometimes not their fault, but that's usually the reason. So this is the type of employee that's available right now. And it makes it very, very difficult to bring on great talent and not you know, pay out the wazoo to get it. Um, and not know what kind of result you're going to get. I think if employers knew that these candidates were going to provide great results, that they probably would pay it. But they're not even sure if they're going to get, you know, a responsible employee who's going to show up half the time, who's going to follow policies, who's going to, you know, be a benefit to their company. And they're asking for $20, $25 an hour before benefits and wanting to work from home and just a lot of things that I think are, are unattractive right now to employers. It's very difficult. I'm just hearing it across the board. I think that a lot of that absolutely is also true. I also think there's this other factor in there, right? Like the resettling of America, right? Or it's been called the reshuffling of the United States where, you know, historically we have been captive to work where we could get to, right? And it's usually been about a 45 minute commute. So for the history of our economy, companies have been able to, in some degree, exploit the fact that people can only work where you could go. So if there were only a couple companies, like they could pay whatever you wanted, because what else are you going to do? And I think a lot of that, what we're seeing in the retail side is a lot of the people that were working at, you know, the mall running the cash register and inventory job that I had, you know, when I was a teenager, like working at Champ Sporting Goods or whatever, those jobs that were paying 14, 15 an hour, right? Like now somebody's able to, and to our industry in, in general, right? Like you can now work remotely as a freight broker for a company and likely make a lot more than that. Um, you can work a lot of jobs now that you've never been able to from your house. And when you don't have to drive somewhere and people have the choice, like, hey, if I can work from home 
and I am that skilled worker, like you said, right? Like say like I am the manager or the assistant manager and I'm on my way up for a retail location. And now I can take more of a, you know, white collar job where I am, you know, using more of my, my skill, my intellect, as opposed to my physical labor, like people are taking those jobs. I also think a lot of people are starting their own companies. When you see like the prevalence of like Shopify, making it so much easier for people to start their own small businesses from their homes, they're like, you know what? I don't want to go work for the man anymore. Like I want to be my own boss. I think there was something like a 75% increase last year in small businesses started, like just, you know, licensed yeah, new businesses opening. And I think that's a good thing. But anytime you see a transition from the way things were to something new, like there's disruption. And I think when you couple that with what you said, which I think is also absolutely true, on top of the fact that people are still getting sick um, and they're calling off. Like, you know, one of my clients, three of three people in their 15 person company um, got sick. So they literally couldn't go to work. And they're like, you know, they're trying to, and they're like, hey, you know, like, what do you do? Like, that's still happening. And I mean, to a lesser degree, I don't think people maybe are like taking off entirely, but hey, if you're out for a week or two and that's happening to millions of people across the country, that's also people that aren't going to work, even if it's for a temporary right. need. I think all of yeah. these things are there creating are, a bigger issue. Yeah, there certainly are several factors. I mean, that's not what I mentioned was the only one. There's several factors. And it is good that we have people who are becoming more entrepreneurial and starting businesses. I think that's great. Um, you don't see that so much from people at the bottom doing Correct. that. You see that from people who are at the top who went, you know what, I think I can do this on my own. I think I can do it better on my own. Or I think mm-hmm. you know, it's time for me to have more time at home or family or whatever the reason was. But there's a flip side to this that I think the, the 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 workers at the bottom don't necessarily appreciate, or even some workers in general, you know, white collar professional workers as well. And that is, this has actually brought in when you bring in remote work, when you bring in work from home, and you bring that in, you also bring in the global workforce. Yes, because if, and if you've got to compete with that. It, if a guy can do it down the street, then who cares if they're in Philippines or Colombia or anywhere else in the world? Right. They, they can mm-hmm. still do that job. And so I think long term, this actually hurts that low income worker much more than it than it think they think it's going to help. They think 100 percent bucks an hour to do something simple and not have the skills. It's Trey, I had I had heard somebody say this. It was it was a company that had put this out on a publication um, a few weeks ago that said, like, look, like we don't want to automate our warehouse. But if people in our town and it was a town in like the Midwest, so like, you know, historically their town relied on this manufacturing plant for jobs. And they had said, look, like we don't want to automate these jobs away, but if we don't get somebody soon, like these will be gone and they will be gone forever. And for the people that aren't, that don't have the technical acumen or the comfortable, you know, the, the ability to work from home on a computer for whatever reason, because they were hourly, you know, labor employees, like these jobs may be gone forever and they may be hurt you know, on a much longer term scale than I think maybe anyone even realizes. Yeah, this is going to be a huge shift in in the overall market and, and how people work. And um, again, I, I just don't think it's going to play out the way that they think it's going to play out um, because there are really talented people everywhere on the planet that now have come into play that weren't there before. I mean, you're still going to have people that have to work in, in a location doing physical labor. That's always going to be there. But I, I'm, with, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, there's, there's, this is such an incredible shift yeah, it's going to probably persist for the next, I would say, 24 months. It's going to continue to evolve. Um, and and people are, you know, it, it's 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 just interesting. I think, 
you know, people like the idea of working from home and having the flexibility. And again, I think companies are going to need to offer that moving forward. But at some point, at the end of the day, the company's going to say, what kind of talent can I get and what price can I get? And I don't care where they are. Yeah. You know, so and- the global workforce is going to be a much bigger impact on the U.S. worker than, than it has been. There's a really interesting stat, I think, that also shows this. So I, I live in South Florida, right? I live where quite a few people come or have come for vacation, right? And typical population growth for Palm Beach County over the past 15 years, 20 years, since about the early 2000s has been about three to 6% somewhere in there. Right now, it's at 11 to 12 and projected to remain that for like at least the next three to five years. That's insane. There's twice yeah. the amount of people are moving down here on a daily and weekly basis. And I, I mean, Again. it's great. But the other thing is, I think there's a lot of things that also people don't realize that like when you go to work from home, you don't get the interactions with the other people. You don't get to learn from the people around you. And I've always thought like, that's what I've really liked about what you guys do down in Columbia is the fact that like, yeah, maybe you're only bringing on one or two people to your company here, but they're also working in a building with a lot of other people doing the same jobs where they can learn from each other. They can interact. And I think there's a big value to that. Um, And I think that's much harder to do one-on-one through a Zoom than it is when you're surrounded by people doing things that you're learning from. No doubt. And that's something that's going to be lost, um, you know, is the walking down the hall and asking a question, collaborative, you know, just spontaneous water collaboration. Water cooler talk, too. Um, yep. Water cooler talk I could do without because I feel like it's somewhat, you know, you could you could do that via text and probably get it. But I just think it's a relationship. It's a relationship. <laughs> yeah, it is relationship. That's what you miss. And like, you know, one of the, you know, my sales admin that I work with every day on a regular basis, we will literally sit in a zoom call for an hour as if we're working in an office, we're not even talking the whole time. Mm-hmm. What it does is it provides that instant collaboration, that spontaneous, Hey, Hey, real quick, we need to do this. I just noticed this. Can we fix that real quick? And we, we talk about it immediately. You almost have to get creative like that to do that, but there's no doubt. There's no doubt that you're going to miss out on that human to human interaction in a physical presence way that that's going to be one of the big casualties of, I think this whole thing. And by the way, that is a really great actionable tip that I know Nate and I talk a lot about. Um, I'm a huge advocate of if you are working from home and you are on a team, you should absolutely be doing these things. You should be sharing like dial time. Even if you're not talking to the other person, having somebody there go through it with you, absolutely add something. It helps you feel like you're not alone. It helps with the isolation. And it also helps you pick up on tips that you're hearing somebody else use. It helps spark thoughts that yeah. you maybe not thought of. And I, I absolutely recommend that if you're out there and you feel like dialing and prospecting is super arduous, do exactly what Trey pointed out, which is spend some time working with somebody else. Even if you guys are doing two, two separate things, like you don't have to be doing the right. same thing. Like you pointed out, it's the same thing as in an office. You're just literally sitting next to somebody for an hour or two. Exactly. Yeah. You, it gives you a little bit of that back, which is nice um, to be able to to be able to feel like you are working with somebody, even though you're not in the same room, it's, it's, it's pretty valuable, but um, so have you, said, yeah, can you keep, go ahead. Would you, I was, I was going to ask, so given the, this whole discussion we've had, would you guys with, with lean specifically, would you attribute um, any portion of your company's growth on the lean staffing side to exactly what we're talking about here? Hard to hire people in the, in the U.S. So they look for other options like the nearshore model. Is that yeah. part of your growth or do you think a lot of it's just organic from doing a good job? No, it's, 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 it's both. I mean, but without a doubt, I mean, you know, when I, when I got to lean, which was, you know, 15 months ago, roughly something like that, it was, it was like early in the pandemic. 
And so we hadn't really, nobody kind of knew what was going to happen. It was still kind of too early. And at that point, I think we had right over a hundred customers. Okay. So imagine Lean's, Lean's life cycle of eight years, they get to a hundred customers. And then now fast forward, you know, about 17 months later and we have 350. So not only have we grown organically in terms of growing existing accounts that have just continued to grow some of our, some of the accounts, everybody knows their names, but also bringing on new accounts. And I attribute that to the fact that, you know, a lot of, a lot of owners, like you said earlier, were really about having everybody in the same place, having, you know, bodies and seats and, you know, everybody in the office and accountability and those types of things. And COVID forced them out of that where they, they couldn't even, it wasn't even a choice anymore. They had to let their people work remote and they had to figure it out. And what they realized many of them was that employees can be productive remote. So it kind of opened their eyes to something different. And then when you take that path, when you, when you knock that domino over, it leads to other dominoes of, okay, well, if they can work at their house, you know, 10 miles away, then maybe this near shoring idea isn't so crazy after all. And so right. a lot of people that were opposed to it previously for whatever reasons became open to it, to, to exploring it or to trying it out, especially if they lost people in the pandemic, not physically lost like, like death, maybe some, but, but for the most part, just maybe they, maybe they downsized their force because they weren't sure how the market was going to react. They cut back and then they needed to re-add people and those people maybe weren't available anymore. They, they just became more open to, well, let's try this. You know, let's start with two, let's start with four and six and see how it goes. And that's been a huge part of our growth as well as really just kind of you know, being in the right place at the right time. I, it sounds terrible because obviously it's a pandemic. You hate to see yeah. taking advantage of that, but the, the situation lent itself to, you know, owners and CEOs and presidents and founders saying, you know, maybe this isn't so crazy after all, let's, let's explore it. And it's, it's been, it's been really good for us and really good for them. I wanted to ask you something specifically too, about kind of the past year, what would you say is the biggest objection you maybe had pre pandemic that people, cause I think that's really what we're talking about, right? Like yeah. there's always resistance to new ideas, to new models. And, you know, like you said, over seven, eight years, got up to a hundred, you know, the pandemic yeah, escalated that almost 300%, right? What were some of maybe the objections or some of the resistance you think that was there that you've maybe been able to overcome or people are now understanding maybe weren't that big of a deal in the first place? Yeah. Without a doubt, it's two things, culture and control. Mm -hmm. you know, people were afraid of losing their culture if they didn't have people in the office and they couldn't really control the culture. But mm -hmm. the other one was they, they couldn't, uh, they, they felt like they would lose control or, or maybe oversight or accountability or whatever, whatever version of that, that you want to want to go with. They felt like they were going to lose that. So, you know, what ended up happening again is, is they, they were forced out of that and had to find new ways of maintaining culture. They had to find new ways of managing. And, and, and inspecting what their teams are doing and having oversight and accountability, they were forced into that. And again, once they started to realize, hey, we can, we can maintain a semblance of culture here. We can maintain control because of you know, SaaS-based products that allow people just to log in and we can have visibility over that. Once I think that, was, that, that part was, was uh, almost pulled out from their, their uh, control center in a way, uh, they, they became open to it. And again, what, what, what people don't realize about our offering is that culture is a huge piece of what we do. We want the employees in Colombia to be fully integrated with the U.S. team. That's the only way that the engagement really works is if it if they become a part of the team. And so our clients that have fully integrated their Colombian team with their U.S. team, our clients who have made the investment to spend time with them, albeit during you know COVID on Zoom calls and getting to know them and their family, and now starting to go back down there and visit, um, you know those aspects all play a huge part 
yeah. in the culture. And our, our, you know, the clients that we had pre pandemic would have said, absolutely. We've kept our culture. You know, it's been great. They would, because that was their experience, but mm-hmm. that was a big objection or a big so, fear I think was losing culture. So it's funny. I, I actually, a, a couple of friends of mine that are in the Western New York area, they, they work in brokerage as well. And I got together um, for lunch yesterday with one of them and he just had to go back to the office after well over a year being at home. And he was a higher producer from home than he was previously in the office. And they now have some people that are remote because they're out of state and they were hired, but they're forcing a guy like him to come back because he's local. And he, he was like pissed about it. He's, he's like, it's like almost like they don't trust me. And, you know, my numbers showed I, I performed like why, why I feel like I'm being punished and being told I have to come back now when we've got lower producers that are working remote just because they don't physically live in Western New York. And yeah. what I would have to say when it comes to brokerage is, especially with culture, there are successful agent-based companies out there. And a lot of these people, they never meet in person, but because they execute that culture part correctly, that could be a holiday party, award yeah. ceremonies, just keeping things not always business all the time when it comes to phone calls, Zoom meetings, you know, emails, stuff like that, celebrating birthdays and sharing good news across the, you know, the organization. You can do that. Um, and it's been successful in a lot of good companies. So the the managers and the bosses that think that you've got to have people in the office, you know, that it's a control thing. I think that's, there's a, a character flaw or a leadership flaw in that person at the end of the day. Yeah. And I would say this culture, another way to look at it, like you just mentioned is relationships. You know, culture is built on relationships. It's not built on ping pong tables and snacks or whatever. It's built on relationships. And when you focus on relationships, that becomes your culture. You know, yeah. the, 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 the personalities and the, the characteristics of your leaders become your culture when it infiltrates other people through relationships. So if you focus on relationships, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can build culture without that. I'll, I'll, I'll lend one point to that. And Ben, you've been on the show a few more times than, than Nate has. But the, the culture we have at Word on the Street is because of relationships. You know, when you go into that environment and you see the openness and the, and the dialogues that we have and the viewpoints that are shared and received and the discussion that goes on, when I, when I meet with you in person, when I met Chris Jolly for the first time, when I see these people, Raquel Parquets for the first time, like there was a culture there. And there's the trust. The culture was there because there's relationships. Yep, there's trust. When you focus on relationships, then you, you build culture whether you know it or not. And, you, and, and, and that's, that's why I think this is, we haven't seen that loss of culture is because the clients who take our best practices and we say, listen, integrate them fully, spend time with them daily, send them some of your swag, come down and visit with them, take them to dinner, you know, do some training on side, do some extra training sessions, let them get to know some of the other people on your team. Like all those aspects are really about relationships and trust. Agreed. Well, good stuff. I want to I want to get some some Q and A here before we wrap up the episode. But I did want to ask you: we, we normally do a lean uh, advertisement. Is there anything fun and new at Lean other than the great conversation we just had talking about your growth from yeah, over a hundred customers to three hundred plus? Well, it's been it's been I mean it's it's been a lot of fun, no doubt about it. We've got the best customers. We say that, and we'll say that till the day we die. Um, it's been a lot of fun. But we just launched Lean BPO, which is our newest offering. Uh, business process outsourcing, outsourcing, and it's uh, a, a new aspect that customers have been wanting, especially in some in other industries. So it may not pertain as much to some of the the, the jobs in transportation, but it just uh, goes to our growth and where we're headed. So we're very excited about that. We're also excited for you know there's a lot of things that are coming up. I mean, hard to believe it or not, but we're starting to 
Um, we're starting to prepare for our mastermind event in Vegas again, which is coming up our big customer, you know, uh, prospect event over Super Bowl weekend. So that's very exciting. And just overall, just the opportunity to see clients starting to come back down to Columbia. We've had a pretty consistent flow of our clients that are now making trips to Columbia. Their, their situation with COVID is very good right now. It's um, the, the new cases and, and the deaths are very low. They've done a great job with that. So getting to see those clients come back and, and meet with their teams again and do training, all very exciting things right now. It's going on. At least. That's awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, cool. So I got three questions here today that come from uh, online. The first one here is about van versus van a reefer. So the question is, when should I be posting for a van only instead of a van or reefer? Because obviously Ben, as we know, a reefer with the reefer unit turned off is just a van, right? So just a drive van. <laughs> so, I, and my my answer here would be this: if you have a customer that specifically tells you, like, don't put it on a reefer, it's got to be a van. Even though you you know it, the freight might be able to be moved that way. That's a good time to to just post it as a van. Do you have any other other examples yeah. of it? Here's the one thing I would say is the way I was taught, and I the same thing that I still teach everyone else is when they tell you what the equipment is, you always want to ask and confirm if you can do more or less. So if it's, Hey, I want this on a drive van. I am, I'm now in the habit of, okay, can this also go on a reefer? If they're telling me it needs to go on a flatbed, my first question is, can it also go on a step deck? Can it also go on an RGN? Can it also go on a Conestoga? Because one, they don't normally tell you if it can go on other equipment. So you want to ask always to see if you can post up because that just widens the net to find a truck. And for the same reason, this person pointed out, because when you also ask that question, you know why they only want one specific piece of equipment for whatever reason. Yeah. It's a good point. I got a follow-up on that real quick. So Ben, I have a question, uh, a follow-up question on that. Do you think it's, and maybe it's a leading question. Do you think it's best that they do this on the phone or by email or does it matter? So I always lean towards the phone because one, what we were just talking about, it's another opportunity to build rapport, build trust, and another interaction between two human beings that furthers the trust. So when at all possible, I try to do this. And plus, when you send it by email, the thing is the written word can be interpreted so many different ways. And I feel you don't have the ability to pivot when you use just text or email. It's way more efficient if you just need to confirm something. But if I can, I almost always lean towards the phone because one, even if you get the wrong answer, you can pivot and turn that. You can't ever do that with an email. So I I'm always going to give you my phone. caveat. I love having a, a rate tendered um, electronically for paper trail, right? Oh yeah. If somebody at a, at a shipper says, yeah, this can go on a step deck. And then you realize it's too long or whatever the case might be. And it like, then the customer's got an issue with it. And they could just say, oh, we told you it had to go on a flatbed. And it's like, well, no, I had this email from that new hire that you improperly trained or didn't know what he was talking about that told me I could put it on a step deck. Um, so that's my caveat is if it's going to, if it could come down to um, covering 100%. your ass, have it electronically. Always, always have a written record of anything that is said verbally is my caveat. Like I always do that, but I'm also going to send the email and go, Hey, you can, can you confirm. Yeah. And you could just e email them after the call and say, Hey, just wanted That's to right. verify yep. we're throwing this. That's on. the best practice right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. CYA when it all yep. possible. All right, good. Next, next question is, should my comp plan change after an annual review for a freight broker? So if you run your own brokerage, no, 
<laughs> your pay, your, your gross profit's going to go up because you're making, you know, you're, if you're doing better, but you know, you're not going to give yourself an annual review. Essentially, if you're an agent, you're not going to get an annual review, but if you're W2 and you legit have like three months, six months, 12 months, whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I've talked to folks that they strongly believe in if you're commission-based, if you want to make more money, you got to make more sales. Now, if you have a base salary tied to that, I'm all for like periodic increases to stay up with cost of living. Otherwise, it's essentially you're losing money every year. Um, but I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you guys think you should, as a freight broker, W-2, should you get a an increase in pay as a commissioned salesperson after after a review? Should that happen? I've, I walked through a client doing this yesterday, actually. So it was a smaller brokerage, um, not a larger one. The larger ones, I wouldn't expect that unless exactly what Nate pointed out, it's a salary. I will say that smaller brokerages have the ability to be able to be a little more creative with their commission splits. And the, the particular example was this agent, or actually it wasn't an agent, it was an employee of a brokerage, um, was learning a new niche in the business. So they didn't know anything about it, right? So like, we'll, we'll just say for the example, it was um, intermodal, right? So they were going to start out at a smaller commission split. And as they their responsibilities grew and they understood what to do, the manager's need was going to decrease and then their percentage would go up. So for example, they were going to start out 15% because they literally didn't know anything. And then as they became more proficient, it was going to go to 20 and then to 25. And then it was going to finally be 30 when they didn't any, when they no longer needed basically somebody looking over their shoulder and making sure everything was done correctly. Yeah. And the last thing out there too, and Trey, I think we talked about this with you in the past is a compensation plan is not just your paycheck, right? It goes, it goes way beyond that. This could be, for example, the ability to work remote, like we just talked about mm-hmm. having flexibility on how many days you're in the office versus at home or the hours that you work or, or whatever. There's, I think there's a lot of different ways to adjust the compensation plan other than just increasing the salary on it. So. Back in the day, that was the biggest <laughs> carrot at TQL, to be honest. Like right when I started and before I was there, I think, I don't even know if that's still there anymore, obviously, but like there was a goal and I think it was like 20K a week or 80K a month. When you hit that at GP, you could work two days from home and three days in the office. And that was like always everybody's goal is basically to kind of get that freedom. The trade's yeah, point, right? Yeah. It's not always just money. It usually yeah, isn't and, just money. And not only that, but I think that there is also kind of a caveat with that as well. And that is um, you really have to know your people on, a, on an individual basis. That's important. But two is, you know, I always look at it this way. The base salary to me is your value to the company. Your commission is your opportunity in the company. And it's always based on how you want to incentivize people, right? So it's a great point. When you have commission in play or bonuses in play, you're telling somebody, if you do this, I will pay you this. And so there's a condition right with that. The base salary, there's no condition to that. You're an employee. This is your value to us. This is your base. And so, you know, I look at an employee that in this situation, every situation is unique. Does this employee help other teammates become better? Does this employee stay, stay longer to get work done? Does this employee ask good questions and, and try to grow and learn? You know, like, like there's, there's more to it than just you've been here a year, right? That's the easy way to do it. So to me, if you're looking at, should my comp plan change? Well, what kind of employee are you? You know, what kind of argument could you make that, listen, I know that everybody else's base is X, but I think mine should be Y because not only am I hitting my targets, but I'm helping them hit theirs as a great teammate. Let me tell you exactly how that works. Like, I think there's more to it than that. So when I look at compensation, you know, base salary to me is the value that you're bringing to the organization as an employee and your 
commission is your opportunity based on what I want you to do. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll add there too is um, I've had people ask like, if I want to raise, and I've seen this happen, like, should I just go to my boss's office and ask for one? And I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like you put your manager in a very defensive position where whether they say yes or no or anything in between, like it's just not handled the right way. I always like the idea of some sort of a growth plan, like, um, like, Hey, you know, let's say you want to make $25,000 more next year. Well, you already know that if you have a commission base or if you have a commission percentage off of your sales, you should be asking or talking to your supervisor on how can I, how do you feel I could better apply myself to reach these numbers to hit this goal? Or, mm-hmm. you know, how can I provide more value to the company that my base salary would be X, right? There's different, instead of just like, Hey, can I have $3 more an hour? And it's like, uh, <laughs> what? Uh, um, I'd so like yeah. to, I'd like to, let me, let me double up on that real quick. Cause I agree exactly with what you say. If you come with a plan, if you say, here's my personal goal, I would like to make this what can I do or help me get to that place? You know, so this year I made a hundred thousand dollars. I'd like to be at 140 next year. One, is that possible here? Just be honest with me. Can, can I do that here? And two, if so, can you help me figure out how, like, what do I need to change? So how many more calls do I need to make? Or how can I get better with upselling or rehashing or whatever it might be? How can I improve or grow my skills to get there? Will you help me do that? I guarantee you that a good sales leader worth their salt would be happy to field that question yeah. and, and help somebody get there. You know, yep. I, I view anybody in leadership and I'll say this, anybody in leadership, their job, their job is to help everybody that reports to them be successful. They work for their people, not the other way around. So if somebody comes to me and says, this is my goal. I really want to get there. You know, it would be cruel for me to say, yeah, you can get there. If it's a, it's not true <laughs> or yep. B, if I don't know how to help you get there. But if it is possible and I know how to help you get there, I, I, I'm going I'm to welcome that conversation, you know? And if I can't as a company, if I can't help one of my guys get to where they want to go, then they should look for another opportunity. And I, and I should be okay with that because I can't help them get where they want to go. They have a goal. So again, I think those conversations are, are, are great to have and to come with it as I'm here today. I really want to get there by next year or whenever that time is. I, can I do that here? Can you help me do that? That's a, that's a welcome conversation. Absolutely. thousand percent. All right. Last question here. Uh, how do I respond to my customer that is asking me for rates for next year? Well, I think that's a, my down and dirty answer to this is um, try to give them a little bit of knowledge or education if they don't already have it on how crazy the market has been in the last year and how unpredictable your rates will likely be if you try to forecast them for a year out. Um, that's why we've seen more micro and mini bids lately instead of these quarterly and annual bids. But uh, Ben, any thoughts on? It's the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the largest shippers aren't running full bids for the very same reason. Nobody knows where the market's going to be next week, let alone next year. Um, and it, I think you phrase it perfectly. If somebody genuinely is asking for this, you don't want to make them feel like they're asking for something that may be ridiculous, to be honest. Um, so you want to have that in a way that sounds productive, like, hey, look, you know, obviously COVID has, you know, and everything has transitioned a lot of things in directions nobody could predict. We are still in the midst of it. And to be honest, even if I could, I don't know that any carrier is ever going to give you a rate that they'll be able to basically hold that far into the future. Anyway. Exactly. They're not really worth anything, even if you give them as the point. That's it. That's it. 
Well, hey, awesome episode, Trey. Always great having you on. We're going to get you on again, hopefully um, this fall or later this fall. It's already fall. Holy cow. But uh, <laughs> any final thoughts? Hey, you, guys, you guys are playing so, in Philly this weekend. Is that what it is? The well, Chiefs? first of all, you guys look great. Let me, if I haven't said that <laughs> yet, you look great. All right. The polos. I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point I'm going to get a little Freight 360 polo in the mail as well. Maybe we can I'm about to order some, some so I'll get you one. Don't you? We got to order small. some swag. Yeah. Send me a small. That's right. Um, no, but you guys look great. It's always good to be here. And again, kudos to you guys for what you guys are doing, not only with the training resources that you have, the resources you're providing online, your podcast, which is great. I'm just so honored to be here. And of course, the work you're doing with TIA. It's great to see you guys thriving and, uh, and doing great things. So that's good. Now, on the sporting note, two things. First of all, hoping the Chiefs get a great win this week. And I think it was pretty funny. So Andy Reid coached the Chiefs, for those that don't know. He used to be the coach for the Eagles. He won 100 games, or he's going to win 100 games at both both teams. If he wins this week, it'll be his 100th win as a Chief. And Ooh. the joke is he's been saving it up. <laughs> he's, he's, he's intentionally <laughs> lost the last two weeks, so he can do it in Philly. And really make a great news story. So, no, excited about that. And, um, again, I think the Chiefs are, you know, you, you get beat once. Okay. You get beat twice at home. I think they're going to be pretty fired up this week. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll I agree with you. Second. And your Steelers. Oh, I, okay, never mind. I'm, we're not going to talk about the Steelers because they're terrible. But, all right, Trey, back to you. <laughs> they didn't. Thing. Their only win this year were against the Bills. So, keep that in mind. <laughs> True. <laughs> they started hot. They started hot. And then just downhill from there. Uh, second thing is super excited to see um, our brand ambassadors, Jared Wolf and Camila Vijegas, teeing it up this week down in Mississippi at the Sanderson Farms Championship. So if you're hearing this on Friday, you know, check it out on Saturday and Sunday. Hopefully they both make a cut and uh, get some TV time if they're towards the top of the leaderboard and look for that Lean Solutions logo on both of their. Uh, did Jared shows. make, did Jared get his card for next year? He did. Yeah, he got That's it what I thought. Ago. Yeah, so this is his second tournament. First tournament, he didn't play well. Um, and by the way, you guys should check out the new podcast that we created for, for you know for Jared. It's called the Full Sin Podcast, um, full underscore sin underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. And what we're doing is every week he's like recapping his tournament week from an insider's perspective of what that's like awesome professional. So he talked about you know what what that first week was like out in Napa. Um, you know he didn't play well, but he he it's really cool to hear him talk about how he processes a bad week what he learned. And he's a historically slow starter. He's somebody that starts a little slow and just keeps learning and growing and just keeps training up. That's been his career. So it was great to hear him talk about, you know, the difference between a PGA tour course setup and a corn Ferry tour course setup and what he learned, what he needed to work on during the off week with the Ryder cup. Uh, it's great. So uh, we got three episodes out. It's at any, anywhere you find your, uh, your, your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever it's just a quick 30 minute conversation each week where he gets to talk about his experience inside the road as a PGA tour player, really fascinating nice. conversations, but yeah, so he's they're, they're both out this week and uh, it'll be great to see them playing well. Excellent. Well, I'm going to give my prediction on the bills bills uh, hosting Houston. Um, they're not going to make it into the end zone in Orchard park, <laughs> Houston. That is, Houston. I'm going to give Houston yeah, six points right. and the bills are going to go <laughs> going 31 to six Buffalo. Uh, ben, you guys are playing in green Bay, I think, right on Sunday. I buzz out. Something like no, that. No, I think we're playing the Raiders, aren't we? Let me look here. That was two weeks ago. I honestly don't remember. NFL schedule. Obviously not a super fan of your own team. That's, that's Well, I also turned the game off towards <laughs> the end of the fourth quarter after watching last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. Pittsburgh. Oh, that's the Bills schedule. I don't know. I thought it was Green Bay. I don't have I don't have it in front of me. I keep I keep it's loading the Bills schedule up here. Yeah, oh, it is Packers. There it is. 
and it's it says uh, four four twenty five on Sunday. So playing man bun, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so I what the over and under is? Ben, any final thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.